If you weren't expecting me to say that, you probably grew up in a Church of Christ, and that's fine. Uh, I am uh, extra excited about Christmas um, as my kids get older and they get to experience joy and um, they get to experience just just the excitement of being with family. We went over to my, my parents' house last night and my, my parents have uh, now thir- 12 grandchildren. All under the age of two, it seems. <laughs> and they, they run around like crazy, and yeah, they do get presents. But for the most part, the presents aren't... What's funny is they got these presents, they opened these presents, they enjoyed them, and then they just ran upstairs and played together without said presents. They just experience each other. And I, I think that's what, what Christmas is about whenever we get together and we just experience each other. Now what's interesting though is that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Um, if you don't believe that, we, we love for you to belong before you believe. But we, we, most of us believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on a cross, that he rose again, that he is the king, that he, is, he should rule our lives. And for a lot of people, that, that's Christmas. We celebrate Christmas for that reason. And, but for us, we celebrate like that every week. Every week we get together. You know, we're going to go in here and we're going to have uh, potluck later. So I'll keep this brief. We'll have potluck later and we'll eat and we'll celebrate. And it'll feel like a Christmas gathering. But we do that every month. What, what Jesus does is he brings us together. He makes us a people. He makes us a community, a group of people who would never really have a whole lot in common at the get-go. Like, me and... I'm, I don't hunt. I don't hunt. I just don't. I never have. And people keep asking me, when are you going to go hunting with me? And I, I don't know. Probably not. I don't know if you can say probably not to the answer to the question when. But probably not. You know why? Because I'm afraid I'm going to shoot something. And I don't mean a deer. I mean just anything. You accidentally. Every time I've handled an, an, an actual knife, I've cut myself. I've never shot a gun. I'm just scared to death that I'll drop it and it'll pop my ear off you know, or whatever. I... So I, I'm a bit, cl- I just, I don't, I don't do it. it doesn't th- I don't think it's bad, I, don't, I just don't. So I, and people say, well, you're going to go fishing with me. Do you have snacks? Because <laughs> I, I, rem- I kind of remember my dad taking me fishing, but it was just eating snacks on a boat. That's all fishing is to me. Peanut butter crackers, Nilla wafers on a boat. <laughs> You everyone, you throw a line out, roll it back, get bored, eat some snacks. So I, I'm not. We might not mesh just outside of the fact that we we have a risen Savior who is alive and active and working in us today. That's what we have going for us. And so we get together and we have joy and we find peace in this place. And. When this time, when the rest of the world is feeling the exact same things, probably whether they know it or not, for the exact same reasons. We need to be the ones first off reaching reaching out our hands and saying, I will celebrate with you. 
I will celebrate the birth of Jesus with you today. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. A couple things. Um, we just ran over that part that said, found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a strange one. All right, so imagine you're Joseph. Joseph, you're engaged to be married. To Mary. And she comes to you and says, okay, there's a problem. I'm pregnant. And he says, that is indeed a problem. Because I am confident that that is not my child in your womb. And she says, don't worry, it's God's. Does that ease anybody's... <laughs> Thank you, Joseph. No, it doesn't ease me at all. If I, you say, I, I'm pregnant. Wait, what? When? How? It's God's? Oh, okay. So you're unfaithful and crazy. But then an angel comes. He's going to divorce her quietly. Notice he didn't believe her. Notice when he says, uh, she says, through the Holy Spirit, Joseph decided, well, listen, I'm, I'm not going to disgrace her publicly. I'm going to divorce her quietly, which in that day, if you were engaged, to get out of the engagement, it, it required divorce. So engagement was more of a binding contract than what we typically think here. All right, so, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Have you heard that song, uh, Mary, Did You Know? Beautiful song, very touching. The answer is yes. She did know. A big angel came and told her. It's true. An angel came and told Mary, and then an angel came and told Joseph, you are going, from you is going to come the Savior of the world. The Redeemer of the planet, the, the, the Restorer of creation is going to come from you. And here's the extra part that we don't, I don't think we think about too often. They had to raise him. You ever had one of those moments where you like, those of you who had small children maybe can remember your small children and you're playing with them and you look away for a second and they just fall back and hit their head and you think, oh, there goes their math skills. That you... I, I think that that tension was just so much more with Mary. Like if, I, if, this, if, if they came to me and said, you're going to be raising the Savior of the world. I'm like, well, 
We probably should get some electrical plugs to put in the outlets. We don't want to electrocute the Savior of the world because we weren't paying attention. We don't want to not be watching. We won't want to mirror. He's going to grow up and save the world. I feel like, I feel like that's a heavy responsibility. And they get here and the Savior of the world shows up and he's breakable. Right? He's a baby who gets cold and is hungry and is just so, he's not able to do anything, this baby. It's not until later that it says Jesus grew in stature and in strength and in in reputation with men and God. He, He grows. He grew. He wasn't always the the miracle working, like at three, he didn't sneeze and fill the room up with bread. Like he was just a baby. He was a toddler. He learned to walk. I wonder if there were times that they looked at this kid and said, are we sure? Was, this not, was that a hallucination we both had? Were we tired on our journey? What was going on with this? We've got this kid. Every baby at some point figures out they have a belly button. Jesus did that. He was a baby. Like the, the, the smallest, most breakable. Hum, a human baby. Those are the worst kind. You ever watched a baby deer? be born i haven't but i know that they get up and start walking immediately all animals born start walking i'm going to feed you maybe for a little bit maybe three weeks then i'm going to push you out of the nest you're going to fly i think i think giraffes start walking immediately although they have a really long fall at first they have to recover from that yeah, thank you. Yeah. But there babies are are helpless and worthless for a long time. Worthless. They're helpless for a long time. You can't sell a baby for nothing. But there there's a um there Jesus was this little and we think okay, he's going to grow up. And he's going to be mighty and powerful and strong. And everyone's going to look at him and say, wow, that guy's something special. Nope. Guess what his name's going to be? Jesus. Actually, his name in Hebrew is Yeshua. In Greek, it's Jesus. In Hebrew and Aramaic, it's Yeshua. Yeshua is the same name as Joshua. If Jesus, if the Bible was written, if the New Testament was written in Hebrew, we would not say Jesus. We would say Joshua. He had the most, the most popular name. They went to the list of top 100 baby names of, of ADOO and decided it's Jesus. They decided we're going to pick the first most popular. You, you walk into any temple square, any courtyard, any marketplace and yell, Yes, you are. Eight kids turn and look. He, he, was, he was of average height. He was, he was a normal human being. There was nothing... Um, outstanding about him that we look on him and say he's something special 
There were times he got lost in the crowd. He said he disappeared into the crowd. Sometimes we make this more spectacular than what it is. He didn't into the crowd. He just, he walked away into the crowd and no one could figure out where he was. Because he wasn't a foot taller than everybody with a blue beauty pageant sash. He was a normal human, unassuming in the world, but he was God's son. And this is how God chose to redeem the world as it first through a baby. And the rest of his life, it was about him being less than what we expected, but in a way, weirdly more than what we could ever have hoped. Jesus existed, and, and, and in that time, they, they hoped that he would be uh, something fierce. That they, As he grew older, as he started his ministry, they hoped that he would be a king. They hoped that he would, that he would lead armies. But he wasn't. His birth was not, or his, his entrance into this world as the king was not championed as when, when he was in his 30s. It was championed when he was a baby, when he was gentle, when he was meek, when he was lowly. And so the world looks on at this child. People come from all over and worship this child. A drummer boy, apparently, showed up. Which Rachel and I were listening to that song the other day, and I said, I think playing a drum for a newborn is the worst gift you can give a newborn. Those things are loud. Maybe like a harp or a, like a, a, a dampened piano or something. But boom, boom, boom. There you go, baby. People showed up with gold for the baby. And it all comes back to where we are in the fruit of the Spirit, I think, with gentleness. Is that our tendency is to experience, as Christians, if we want to march into the world as Christians, we've got to do so uh, blazing. We've got to do it with guns drawn. We've got to do it with flags raised. We've got to march in and proclaim our our position. You can't do this world or government and we've got we've to get, get rally together and get votes and we've got to rally together and make sure that the people in power know that we're really the people in power and Jesus is still just coming in the world as a baby. Coming in gently into the world. I think that makes a difference. Rachel and I... Uh, Rachel has some friends that invited her and her husband to a, a Christmas party. I, don't ha I didn't have, but these were nice people. They didn't know me very well, but they knew one thing about me, that I'm a preacher. And I don't know if you know how, um, what our reputation is, but preachers can really put a damper on Christmas parties. She took a, uh, Rachel got a text uh, Friday night on her, way, on her way to the Christmas party saying, will, will Benjamin be okay if there's wine, with wine around? Which I thought was funny, like just around me. 
like my skin would start searing. I'd get mad and turn it all back into water. I like that, but but um, the reason that text was sent was because it was a legitimate concern. Because preachers, for the longest time, have gotten really mad when people sin in ways that I don't sin. Not saying having a glass of wine at Christmas is a sin. You just know what I'm, what I, where I'm get going. It, people get really, preachers have a tendency to get really frustrated. Oh, you shouldn't be having a glass of wine ever. Arg. <laughs> yeah. But there's, I've used this example before, but let's, let's overeat. Absolutely. We get really frustrated with certain sins, and so we get angry about those sins, and we pound the pulpit, and we say, you shouldn't be doing these things. Now, the other things that we say, well, you, you can go ahead and do those things, but they're kind of frowned upon. Shouldn't gossip. Tisk, tisk. But there are certain sins, and I want to bang the pulpit, and I want to say, oh, don't do that. It's a, it makes me angry, and let's force our way into the world and say, these are my opinions, and these are what you should be doing. And, the, and Jesus comes into the world as a child. I, th- I think the, ju- the church would look more like Jesus if we looked more breakable. If, if, if we look like we could... You know, we, we mess up. We mess up and we're broken human beings. We're sinners. And we... We have trouble making the right decisions, and we have trouble keeping friends sometimes, and we have trouble uh, <laughs> have, having conversations with people we don't know. We, we're, just, we're, we're just broken. We're unassuming, not forcing our way, but gently living our lives. Submissive. This word that's translated gentleness in uh, Galatians chapter 5, when he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. When he says gentleness, the word he uses here is the same, comes from the same word that Jesus uses when he says, The meek will inherit the earth. It's a word that could be used for humble, it could be used for poor even. People who don't think they should always get their way. For the philosophers of the time, gentleness was somewhere in between authoritative and puny. But it leaned more toward puny. We've often swept gentleness under the rug as, a, as something that you could have, but maybe that's not for all of us, because we believe that the way to get our way, the way to tell the world that Jesus is who he says he is, is through force or through a raised voice, and that's just not the way he did it. Now, some of you right now are thinking, didn't he make a whip and run people out of a temple? Yes, but because you're bringing that up, you don't really understand what was happening there. We'll get that at, at some point soon. 
He says, I'm, I'm gentle. He says, the meek will inherit the earth. When he, rides into the, when he rides into the city as a king, he does so on a mule. He does so on a donkey. And it says he did that because the king needed to come in humbly and gently. The king we worship is not one who forced himself onto people, but one who submitted and still won. He's not the one who gets angry because people, actually the people he made, remember he made the whip, ran people out of, those were the religious people who were taking advantage of of the lessers. He stood up for the broken. But the sinners, the tax collectors, those who were addicted, that wasn't, those weren't the people he yelled at. People he got frustrated with, the people he said, woe to you, you vipers, were the people like us, the religious, who were trying to force ourselves on other people. And he just went, you know how Jesus dealt with sinners? He ate with them. He built relationships with them. Gently. Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. I'm going to eat in your house today. Jesus has this um, line in late, uh, Matthew chapter 11. He says, at that t- Matthew says at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. I, I just love what Jesus, Jesus says. Thank you, God, for making those people who think they have it all together stumble all over themselves and thank you, God, for making those, those people that, that their culture thought, was, thought were worthless. And you give the things to little children. Thank you for flipping the world on its head. Yes, Father, do, for this is what you were pleased to do. Come to me, Jesus says. I'm sorry, all things have been committed to me by my Father, he tells them. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right, what is he talking about there? Real quick, in the, in the first century and before, if you wanted to be a rabbi, which is a teacher of the old law, if you wanted to be a rabbi, you uh, went to school like everyone did, like every Jewish boy, not everyone, every Jewish boy went to school and they learned uh, the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's what they learned early in life. They didn't learn squares and animal sounds. They learned Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't just learn what they were about. They memorized them, word for word, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Every young Jewish boy had Genesis through Deuteronomy memorized. Now, those who were really good at memorizing Genesis through Deuteronomy got to move on to the next area 
where they then learned the rest and actually the Mishnah, which was all the commentary, rabbinic commentary on the whole Old Testament. A lot to learn. Now, most of them didn't get to do this. Most Jewish boys went home and and learned uh, with their father. They apprenticed. So whatever their father did, if their father was a stonemason, like Jesus' father was, we call it carpenter, but they a stonemason. If if your father was a tax collector, heaven help you, or if your father, whatever your father was, you went home. If he was a fisherman, you went and learned to be a fisherman. Now, some kids, really smart kids, went on and learned the rest of the Old Testament and all the rabbinic uh, commentaries on the Old Testament. Now, after that, the best of the best of the best went on to try to follow a rabbi. And you wanted a rabbi whose yoke, their yoke, uh, when they said yoke, they meant their teaching, how they understood uh, the the word of God. You wanted a rabbi whose understanding of the word of God was difficult and hard to attain. So a yoke that was heavy and difficult. And so you would go, you would, the harder the yoke of the rabbi, the, the difficult, more difficult it was to get in. You would show up to a rabbi and you would say, I want to um, follow you. And he would say, all right, well, let's, run, uh, let's quiz you. And he would ask you questions. You wouldn't give answers because that's not a Jewish, good Jewish thing to do. You would ask questions back of him and he would ask you more questions. It was like a whose line is it anyway game, just if, but rabbinically. No one got that? Okay, we'll just keep moving. So uh, there's, there was a, a rabbinical question back and forth with this disciple. Do you want to follow me? If you want to follow me, you need to be able to answer the right sorts of things and have the right, ask the right sorts of questions and have the right sorts of answers, even if you want to follow me. Most of the time, these kids did not get in to these yoke, to these, uh, they, they were not able to follow these rabbis. So what, it makes what Jesus did so odd. One, because he was an apprentice. He didn't go on to the best of the best school. Secondly, whenever he decided to start teaching, once he became a rabbi, he just walked up to some fishermen and said, hey, you come on. Walked up to a tax collector and said, come on. And whenever he start, makes his open statement to the world to say, I know God, and if you want to learn about God, you follow me, and you can follow me. Every, not, the, not the wise and the learned, but the weak and the heavy laden. Everyone who wants to come to me can come to me because my yoke is not difficult. My yoke is not heavy. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Anyone who wants to come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We benefit from the easy, light yoke and burden of Jesus. We benefit from the humble and gentle Savior. Why then do we tend to turn and put heavier yokes on people who are trying to follow the same Savior we are following? He has asked us to follow Him and He hasn't made the requirements that heavy. He hasn't made the teachings that hard to understand. He just He's humble. 
He's gentle. If you want to look like your Savior, gentleness is one of the first priorities. You can't come in with swords drawn, guns ablazing, flags flying. It's gentleness. You can't come in telling people about how wrong they are and how right you are, and if they could just, you, you, you can't. The world is celebrating a Savior who entered into this world as a breakable baby. And even whenever he became a teacher, even whenever he became a, uh, a rabbi, and they even thought he was a king, he kept saying, no, I'm gentle. I'm humble. I'm meek. And if you want to come to me, I will give you rest. Because you won't be fighting to make sure that you've always gotten it right. I had a, um, as a, as a preacher, you run into this, the wine thing like I ran into. You run into this all the time. People will swear in front of you. And you say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were a preacher. It's like, okay, well, then I guess I won't tell God. How am I going to tell on you? But this, this baby we see in the manger, while Jesus grew up and did other things, and what he did at the end of his life probably counts more than what he did at the beginning, but this baby in a manger symbolizes so much of what he did because he came in breakable. Actually, he left, almost left quite breakable too. Savior on a cross, the baby in a manger, what we find in Jesus is someone not who insisted on getting his way, but insisted on giving up his way for the betterment of the people around him. That is our call. And this first step of that is to be gentle, to be a gentle human being. I'm not going to force upon you my way of life. I'm not going to force upon you my belief system. Cracks me up when Christians get mad that non-Christians don't believe that God created the earth. Of course they don't. Why should we be mad at them for that? Of course. If you don't believe in God, you don't if you don't believe in the Bible, you don't believe in if you don't believe in God, if you don't of course, of, of course they don't believe in the Bible shouldn't anger us. We should love them. We shouldn't get upset that everyone doesn't think the same way we think. Of course they don't. We shouldn't get upset that other Christians understand the Bible differently than we do. Of course they understand the Bible differently than we do. We're all, we've all got these broken minds. Gentleness asks us to give up our own way so that the relationships can prosper. Gentleness is, is, is what Jesus did. He gave up his own way so that our relationship with God can prosper. We see that in the baby. We see that on, with the man who taught. We see that with the man on the cross. We see that with the Holy Spirit. And we see that with the best Christians that we know. 
They're never the ones shouting about this doctrine or that doctrine, but they're always the one loving the people around them consistently without, with, without reason, <laughs> except that just Jesus loved them first. Our call to the world needs to be, come to Jesus, all who are weak and heavy laden. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we as his followers, like him, we are gentle and we are humble. We don't think we got it all together. But we know he does. And so we're not asking you to follow me, but I'm asking you to follow the one I follow. The story about Jesus is amazing. The birth, the, the virgin birth, the, um, the, 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 the circumstances surrounding his birth are amazing. But what's even more incredible is that he kept up that humility. He's the savior of the world. He's going to redeem the people of their sins, but he's still humble. And he flipped the world on its head and let them know that anyone who wanted to come can come. Anybody. Our call to the world needs to be, you can come to this Jesus. But before we can do that, we've got to mirror his gentleness. We've got to mirror his humility. Because it's only then that we can actually say, we're like our Savior. If you want to see him, you can find him in me. If you want to come to this Savior who is gentle and is humble and is meek and his burden is is light, if you want to come to this Savior whose teachings are not difficult, to understand, then today's the day. You'll never forget the time you committed your life to Jesus or recommitted your life to Jesus that one Christmas in 2014. You'll never forget it. Because maybe you need rest. Maybe you need peace. Maybe you need to be set free from a heavy burden. I would argue that all those things, all those things at least point to the fact that you need Jesus. That maybe today's the day for you. And if it is, we will celebrate for it, with you. We will, we will eat together. We'll have, a, a, we'll have a blast together. And we will just, we'll be so excited that you decided to follow Jesus. Or to start following him once more. But whatever you need this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing.